We're so blessed with such fine musicians. Let's put our hands together in gratitude. So fortunate. Tony and Stefan, Josh, Glenn, Colin and Abby, thank you so much. Um, you, you always preach to yourself. Uh, when you're a pastor, you always, you always preach to yourself. You write that sermon first for your heart. And I don't know about you, but I had a tough time getting here this week. And I don't mean driving my car and all. I mean like getting in, uh, in, in, in the mode. Just trouble getting kind of from the sidewalk into the, into the auditorium this morning. I know what it is. Um, but then I come in and we worship. And uh, all of a sudden my feet are a little steadier. My heart's a little stronger and ready ready to rip. And I don't know, right? I, I don't know if it was last week was just a tough week. I don't know if it's a season of tough things, but it's, yeah, it's just kind of the way it is. But I can guarantee you this is the best place to be. Um, there, there's a lot of other choices you could have made, but you chose to come and worship the Lord Jesus this morning. And for me, for you, for all of us who call on the name of the Lord, that's it's the best choice we can make because there's a, a refocusing and a recentering that comes on that. Um, there's pieces of the services here in the auditorium that are unique every time, whether it's harmonies with Colin and Abby or Tony or, or Josh playing the little riff at the end. I just love that. Um, so there's always a unique piece, a unique flavor to what we do. And I need that. It's good for my heart. It's good for our souls to to be able to be drug out or, or, or pulled out of the mundane pieces of life and brought into something that's holy and beautiful and, and good. This morning, we're just going to work a little while in Mark's gospel. Abby, Abby read beautifully the, the scripture, and Mark's gospel, he's always going like this, like Stefan said, there, there's just no, wait. he takes a breath and he's gone, and he takes a breath and he's gone, he takes a breath and he's gone, and it's healing and feeding and caring and even Peter's mother-in-law, he gives peace to, to that lady. And so it, it, it just seems to me that everyone's following something. There's something that kind of organizes your life. There's something that kind of pulls it all together. And uh, it, laugh, right? But there's going to be more people watch that game next week. There's going to be more people put money on that game next week. There's going to be more people skip work a week from tomorrow than any other day in the year. And people follow it, and they're already into it, and all of those things. And we were laughing a little bit this morning, and I'm sorry to the Swifties, we're not going to have to watch Taylor Swift follow Travis Kelsey anymore. But, you know, it's all good. It's just something else to think about. But everybody invests their life in something. Or there's a principle that runs through your life that takes in and, and, and goes through like a thread and pulls all the events of your life into some sort of alignment that makes sense for you and your heart and your soul. And with that, our lives have order and, and sense of meaning. And without that, all the events of our lives are just chaotic. Stuff just happens to us and respond. Things go on around us and, and we got to kind of roll with the punches and figure it out. But but when there's a principle that runs through our life that organizes the way we think and organizes our hearts, then it's fantastic. It allows us to put our feet on a firm foundation. It allows us to stand through storms and strife and all the stuff that, that hits us in, in our lives. And if, if you want to kind of figure out what your principle is 
and, and what works for that? What, what, what is it that you're organizing your life around? There's two ways to, to show that. And one is to show your calendar and to look at where you invest the important currency of your time. Because where you invest your time is where your heart is. There's too many options. There's too many things to do. Our time is too precious, too valuable. I'd rather waste money than waste time. A friend grabbed my uh, wife in, in an appropriate way in the airport in New Orleans, and, and he looked at my wife and he said, at our age, Barb, the currency that we have is time. And sometimes I look at that little grandson, and we've got another grandbaby on the way, and I think, you're darn right, time more than anything else is the place where we invest, right? We invest the best part of ourselves using the time as the currency. And I'd rather, again, waste money than waste time. But speaking of money, look at your budget. You'll find out what the guiding principle of your life is as you spend your time and you would spend your money. And you'll figure it out. It'll become very clear how and when and what this is a season where we've started getting back the things of uh, the, the receipts from the giving that we did this year. And some of those are good. I got one back and it was kind of like a slap in the face that said, you have officially given nothing to this organization. I'm like, oh, I'm dirt. I'm cheap. This is horrible. But it's a different season, right? I didn't give anything to that last year because I gave something somewhere else. But where we spend our time and where we spend our money shows what is the organizing principle, the organizing factor of our lives. And so as your minds are thinking and you're spinning a little bit, you're thinking about what, what is it? What, what organizes my life? What pulls the things into alignment that helps me make sense of my life and allows me to connect meaningfully to others as well? And it could be self. Quite honestly, when I put this together, I was thinking kind of selfishly about myself and how things affect me and how all my stuff goes and what I think and what I feel and what I do and all of those things. And there's something kind of shallow to that, especially as I was thinking about Tim. And for some, it's money. For others, it's work and job. For some, it's recreation and the going out and having fun and the doing this and the doing that and the... Uh, and for some, it's stuff and the accumulation of things. And none of those things are bad in and of themselves. But as the governing principle, as the organizing principle of our lives, it's just not enough. There's something bigger and deeper for us. All of these things are transient, meaning they come and go as we get to extinction on them, as we make transitional changes in our lives. Some of those things become kind of irrelevant. As people move towards retirement, they're like, yeah, work was great, but we begin to realize when we get older that our recreational things changes. As life changes, as children get older, we move through those things of life. There's, there's got to be something bigger because some of those things lack an a intrinsic sense of meaning or maybe a sense of, of depth. There's just not enough purpose to them to build the, your life your life on them. And when we don't have that, when everything's kind of random and it's just coming after us, well then, then life becomes a series of things that aren't connected. And there's a little bit of a hopelessness that comes in that. 
And I think our Lord wants more for us in that as he ties together the threads of our lives with meaning that comes from him. And so that piece that Abby read is powerful. You go through that a little bit, and, and I believe that's in your bulletin today. They go through the synagogue. There's Simon's mother-in-law is in bed. Jesus heals her. She gets up and makes them a little lunch. That evening after sunset, the people brought, uh, the people brought to Jesus the sick and the demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered at their door because Jesus was providing something that they had never seen or never understood before. Everything was kind of random out there. And all of a sudden, here's this Jesus guy. And he's going from thing to thing to thing. And all of these things seem to be connected to the identity, identity that, that he has. And then Jesus, it doesn't say if he's wore out or what, but he pulls back to meditate and to think just a little bit. And he goes out while it's still dark. And he left the house, went to a quiet place, and he prayed. And then everyone was looking for him. And he just needed that moment to kind of gather himself, to be reminded what was important. And not so much the what, but the why of why he had come to save, to heal, to cast out, to preach to love, and all of those things. And so the question as you look through Mike, Mark is what has Jesus done for you that you would invest your life in Him? What makes it worth it? What makes it valuable? What would make it better to get up and come to worship on a Sunday morning than to do anything else? Why would you make that decision and make that a priority? Now, part of it is because of what Jesus did. And Mark gives us a marvelous list of those things. We don't have all sorts of adjectives and adverbs and all that stuff. We got all sorts of this is, this is, this is, this is. So he's baptized and acclaimed by his father as the Messiah. He was tempted in the wilderness. He called his disciples and gathered his crew around him. He drives out evil spirits to show that he's got the power over evil. And he's not just messing around as some kind of itinerant preacher and then he heals so many people that the people gathering in this little nook on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum, they're bringing person after person after person, and Jesus just cranking out the healing mercies that he's got right there, so much so that he's got to go and find a moment to get away to make sure he's, he's okay. And the scripture that would be for next week, but we've got a different Sunday next Sunday, but it just goes through John. He heals a man with leprosy. He heals a man who's not feeling it, who's on the outside of community and brings him back in. And you could look at all those things and say, well, they're all different. There's healing, there's casting out, there's calling. There's all sorts of stuff there. But as you align that with Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 through 7, you find the value in the things that Jesus did and the value that comes in investing your life in him. This is Isaiah 35, 3 through 7. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackal once lay, 
grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Do you see it? Do, do, do you see the list? Because the list of what Jesus is doing here in Mark chapter 1 is very much the same as to what Isaiah says here in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 53. I'll show you in a minute. Why should you invest your life in Jesus? Because he's kept his word. Because everything that was prophesied about him has been proven to be true and demonstrated to be true in him. Mark makes sure that as you and I look, that we look at Jesus not just as a guy, but that we look at Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so you put Isaiah 53 next to Mark 1 and you go, check, check, check. The sick, the hurting, the evil possessed, check, 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 done, done, done. Why should you put your trust and invest yourself in Jesus? Well, because He is who He says He is. Your Savior, the Savior of the world. The only one who's ever come and provided that deep, rich sense of meaning that's lasted for two millennia. And there's one more piece of that. This is Isaiah 53, 10 to 12. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. After he did all the stuff, from Isaiah 35, he gets to the list of Isaiah 53. And that's the list that draws us together today. Because no matter how I try, I can't clean my own conscience. No matter how hard I try, I can't move the guilt out of my garage. No matter how I try, I can't cover my own shame. All the little misshapen pieces of my life don't fit together neatly. Except when life is around the cross of Jesus. He was numbered with the sinners. He was put on a cross. He was cast outside the city. He was, our garbage was put on him. And in his death, you and me are set free. Free from the past, free from the guilt and shame, free from kind of that shadow of the past that says, I got you. Shadow of the past that says, you don't measure up, your life doesn't make sense, your life's meaningless, what you're doing is stupid. And Jesus says, wait a minute, I've come not just to redeem stuff, but I've come to redeem you as my people. And for me, there's something liberating in that. There's something that cracks in my heart that says, oh, okay, if God in Christ loves me, then I guess it's okay for me to be okay with myself and then to love other people. And so there's a richness that comes in that, a richness of meaning, right? Today's sermon is about here's the five things you got to do to feel better about yourself. Rather, it's a sense of depth and meaning that comes from this and that list we come back to. How do you view yourself? 
Well, we view ourselves as children of God because we look at ourselves through the cross. We look at ourselves through the Messiah. Who am I? Well, if you leave me with my guilt and shame, then I'm just another useless individual. But when I look at myself through the cross and I see the forgiveness that comes in Jesus and I see the opportunity for God to straighten out my life and I see the opportunity for God to breathe into me grace and peace, well, there's something to that that centers me and us as Christian people allows us this marvelous, transcendent sense of peace and connection to God. How do I view what I have? How do I view my money? Well, money is a means, not an end. Money is a gift of God, our incomes, all of those things, right? There's meaning behind that, not just behind the zeros, but on the foundation upon which our lives are built. And so money and income become means for blessing our families and other people rather than just a useless exercise in accumulating more. There's depth and richness and meaning to those pieces. How about work? I want my work to be meaningful, not just because I work in a church. I want my when I, when I worked in loading trucks and handling palm trees, I wanted that work to be meaningful as well. I want your work to be meaningful. So how about this? Luther said, if the cobbler is making shoes, he should do it as one who is making shoes in the name of the Lord. If your job's moving dirt, if your job is loving people, if your job is working at McDonald's, and I worked at McDonald's, if your job is whatever your job is, it's your vocation serving the Lord. And there's depth and richness and meaning and purpose to that. And that's inspiring and invigorating as we finish January and head in to the dog days of 2024? Or how about recreation? Recreation rather than an end, uh, kind of entertaining ourselves to death. Rather, it's a blessing of celebrating God's goodness to us, of finding joy in being the people of God, finding happiness in being in community with one another and being in places and doing things that make our hearts lighter and our lives more integrated. Or how about stuff? I like stuff. Cleaning out my garage and cleaning out stuff. Instead of throwing stuff away, I bought little boxes and plastic to haul them and put them up into my rafters. I put hooks in and we got stuff. We got stuff. Maybe the Lord provides so lavishly for us so that we can be generous with others. And that stuff, again, is not a means to an end. It's, it's not a means to ourselves. It's a means to be generous. See what I'm saying? That in life under the cross, all the good things and all the difficult things find alignment in a way that we can sort them into our lives and find richness to meaning in who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and how much he daily and richly loves us. I'm a pretty voracious reader. Uh, you, pe people send me articles all the time. People send me books. And before you send me a book, uh, it's very difficult for me to, if you give me an audio book, I can do that. But people give me a 700-page book and they're like, you should read this. I'm like, yeah, this isn't even a Dostoevsky or a, uh, yeah, whatever, right? Tolstoy. But I read 
the paper, I read the news, I, I read quotes, I read things to add richness and language to the message. One of my favorite people to read is an old Catholic named G.K. Chesterton. And Chesterton was funny. He had bad teeth and he just is a goofy guy. And he said all sorts of stuff, some which isn't really fit to be put in a service. But if you Google him, you'll find funny stuff. You'll be, that's pretty good. I can see why Pastor Tim didn't put that up. But I love this quote from Chesterton. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's, found out, it's been found difficult and left untried. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. I think as long as we're following Jesus in our lives, through the trials, the painful pieces, through the joys and blessings, he provides that integration for us. And I don't think we ever completely achieve that until we reach heaven's gate. But I believe that every day is a day to follow after Jesus because he is who he says he is. And he loves us with a love that never, ever lets us free. A love and a grip from which we can never shake ourselves out. Should you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, it is, it's just good to be in here today. Um, I need it, we need it. Your word, Lord, you, you are who you say you are. When you went to the cross, it wasn't just some guy, it was the son of God. It was who John said in your baptism, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How powerful it is that you love us that much. That you remove our sin and guilt. and That you replace uh, sin and guilt with peace and hope. Gather us together at the beginning of this year. Help us move those big blocks of life into alignment, to look at our lives through the cross and to find that as an organizing principle that will lead us to richness in the meaning of all the marvelous gifts you provide. So bless us as we continue to worship you, Lord. We're going to pray. We're going to come to your table. We're going to be reminded of your goodness to us. We're going to be able to taste and touch and smell and, and be gathered together in the communion of, of your table, the communion of your body and blood. So be with us and bless us to that end in Jesus' name.